0: I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please also check out my other podcast, Kids Do Have Time to Read Books. I'm on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and at Kids Do Have Time to Read. So please follow me. And if at any time you have suggestions, my email is zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much to my latest sponsor, the Mermaid Pillow Company. MermaidPillowCo.com. They make these amazing pillows with sequins on the back and positive messages on the front, and they now even make custom pillows and blankets. It's an amazing company, and if you enter the code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, you will get 10% off, which is super cool. So please check them out, mermaidpillowco.com. I'm excited to be talking to Catherine Price today over the phone. She is the author of Funny enough, How to Break Up with Your Phone, which is being published in 26 countries and translated into 18 languages. An award-winning writer and science journalist, Catherine's work has appeared in the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Post... Oh, the Oprah Magazine, and many other publications. She's appeared on the Today Show and other impressive outlets. Her previous books are Vitamania, How Vitamins Revolutionize the Way We Think About Food, 101 Places Not to See Before You Die, Mindfulness, a Journal, and the Big Sur Bakery Cookbook. A graduate of Yale University and UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism, she currently lives with her family in Philadelphia. So welcome, Catherine. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. And Catherine, this is like the craziest because you're the first person who I heard about your book and then realized that we had gone to high school together.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was very funny when I heard about a Zibi. I was like, I know a Zibi. <laughs> I wonder how many there are. that then I saw a picture and was like, oh, my God. I, know. <laughs> I do indeed.
0: I know. It's like, I know
1: her. That's amazing. <laughs> anyway, so, so exciting
0: to hear of all the things that have, you've accomplished in your life since we went to high school together. And it's so funny too, how if you don't see someone's picture, you might not recognize them from just their name. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So can you please tell listeners what, how to break up with your phone is about and what inspired you to write it?
1: Yes. Yeah, so Breaking up with your phone does not mean dumping your phone. I always like to clarify that right from the get-go because otherwise people tend to freak out and say, oh my God, I could never do that. And basically, it, it's the same thing with a human relationship. If you break up with someone, you're not saying you're never going to date a human being again. You're just saying there's something that wasn't working in that relationship for you. And hopefully you are on the lookout for a new relationship that's healthy and that feels right for you. So that's what we're aiming for here is a healthy relationship that you feel in control of. And what inspired me to write the book, I mean, a couple of things, I've, I'm a science journalist and I tend to try to turn my own personal issues into professional projects because Perfect. why not? <laughs> and, and about four, I guess over four years ago, I'd had a baby and I was up with her one night, overtired and maybe a little bit like hallucinatory because I basically saw this scene as it would appear to the outside world, which was that I was sitting with her in my lap and she was looking up at me and I was looking down at my phone. If one must know, I was scrolling through eBay for antique doorknobs, true story. Cause Interesting. Because I... I yeah, we can discuss that. Okay. like. But, <laughs> but anyway, but I realized like, you know, that's really not what I want my experience with her to be like. And it's certainly not a, not how I want her to be experiencing her relationship with her mom. It's for her to be looking up at me and me to be looking down at my phone. And the science journals for me also recognize that babies' focal, like their, their eyes are developed just so that they can see as far as their parents face if you're holding them in their arms as a way to actually foster emotional connection. So from an actual scientific evolutionary point, I also realized, ooh, wait, you know, I, I don't want this to be a habit that I get into where I'm not meeting her gaze and, and basically she's only able to look at my face. <laughs> right. So anyway, yeah, so I looked into like all the material I could find about phones and technology. And at that point it was like twenty fifteen, there wasn't really that much out there. And then what I did find was really concerning, but it didn't have any actionable definite. Like there'd be always be like one page of tips and tricks. So I was left kind of feeling depressed and out of control and then powerless. So my hope was to write a book that would combine a look at the science and an easy to read almost. Fun. I mean, I tried to make it fun format with an actual plan that people could use to begin to change their behaviors. And again, it's not about not using your phone. It's about a mindful relationship.
0: You did make it fun. <laughs> there are a number of things I really like about this book. One is that it is not that long. It's like compact and small and feels manageable. We were just talking about friends who, you know, we it's how hard it is to find time to read, of course. And this book does not take that long to read. So that's amazing. And it's so it co- also
1: was a- right. Is that a goal? <laughs> yes. I was trying to make it short because I realized that people, unfortunately for us writers, people don't really read books as much as they used to in part because of our phones. And so I didn't want to have, you know, a 250 or 300 page book that would make people feel burdened. I really wanted to give them something easy to read and easy to act on. Yeah. I feel like
0: maybe publishers think like they're not giving people enough if the book's not long enough, but I feel like as a consumer, the exact opposite way. <laughs> like I, exactly. I, I read the book, like I can cross off reading a book off my list and now I feel better about myself and I've gotten all this amazing information inside it. So
1: anyway. That's a very good point. Actually, it gives you like the self-esteem boost. They totally don't think about our self-esteem when they publish very long books. <laughs> right? We really be they like pamphlets. We should be publishing pamphlets and then everyone can just check them off their list and feel very accomplished. I mean, I
0: feel some books I should get a medal for finishing. I'm like, I want to like <laughs> scream it from the rooftops. Like, I just finished this 500-page book. Is anyone going to do anything? I could have read two other books, but I didn't.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like anything by Ron Chernow, you're like I deserve a medal. This was yeah. very long. Totally, that's like <laughs> yes. That, I've been I've actually been carrying Power Broker around with me for over ten years. I actually it's like the Robert Caro book. Yes. It's so big that I actually ripped it into pieces just so I could carry around manageable chunks, but I still haven't finished. I have
0: to do little tricks like that. I have to be like, I'm not going to read this whole book. I'm going to read the first half and then I'm going to reassess. And like, then I get to the first half and anyway, I'm getting off topic. But point is, I'm glad that your book is the perfect length, especially for moms. And I love the cover, the yellow and blue and white little text bubbles and everything. So, but more than the format and the physicality of the book is the content of the book, which is super helpful. And the thing I want you to talk more about it, but just for other people, it's so consumable and actionable. Like I actually feel like I can do what you said and I don't feel like you were preaching to me about what I have to do, but just like nicely suggesting it from a point of understanding. So I just wanted to personally thank you for that because now I'm going to take these suggestions to heart.
1: Oh, great. That is exactly what I would hope. And that makes me very happy to hear.
0: <laughs> and obviously people agree with me because the article you wrote in the New York Times, which was called Do Not Disturb, How I Ditched My Phone and Unbroke My Brain, got 2 million views in four days, the first four days. How crazy is that? Were you like freaking out?
1: Yes. So that was actually, it was an article that this guy Kevin Roos wrote about me coaching him through a phone breakup. So basically, I mean, it's a funny story because as a, you know, you as a freelancer as well, like you're constantly pitching people. And so I'd written to Kevin Roos I don't know, like when my book came out a year and a half ago, and he wrote back and said, oh, sounds interesting, but I'm really busy right now. You know, keep in touch. And I was like, never tell a freelance writer to keep in touch because we will. And so (laughs) we corresponded several times over the course of the year. And then there was one night, I think in like December, where I got this email from him out of the blue that said, you know, I've reached a breaking point. I really need your help for the sake of my mental health and, you know, basically my sanity and my relationships and everything. Like, I just need help with my phone. And I later asked him, like, what was that moment that made you contact me? me and he said he was at an Alvin Ailey performance with his wife and he realized he had snuck out to quote use the bathroom but in fact he was just going to check his phone and that he I think emailed me on the way home (laughs) so anyway I helped him through this 30-day process that I outlined in the book of breaking up with his phone and trying to get more control and I always get nervous when I work with people who are like you know technology experts because it's like he's tried a lot of stuff before and he also needs to use technology for work so it's a real challenge. And so it was really fun to see that actually he was able to make a lot of changes. And he ended up writing this article, the one you mentioned called Do Not Disturb. And it was truly insane. He said he'd never gotten as many responses from readers to any article he'd ever written. And as you said, it went over 4 million reads within the first, I think that was within the first 48 hours. And then it was like on the top of all the lists for a number of days. And so I thought, wow, that's really pretty amazing that I think that speaks to the fact that people are really waking up to this being an issue and and looking for help. And also, he's just a really funny, great writer. So I recommend people check out that article just because it's fun to read.
0: So in your introduction, you pointed out that smartphones have infiltrated our life so thoroughly in the past decade that we never really stopped to consider, like, what do we want our relationship with them to look like? We just sort of accepted it and moved on. So tell me me more about that.
1: Well, yeah, it's kind of like if you were dating the same guy from high school and, like, never actually – asked yourself if you wanted to continue that, you know, like suddenly you're 25 and you're about to get married and you're like, wait, I'm not actually sure if we're still compatible or like, how did this happen? It just kind of happened without me really realizing it. And similarly, we were also excited about smartphones when they came out we immediately got them and, and the apps started to multiply. And before we realized really what was happening, it went from kind of like a pleasurable pastime or a real productive tool to something that we just look at compulsively, in some cases, hundreds of times a day. And it end up feeling that we're not really in control. I mean, you know, how many times have you looked down at your hand and realize your phone's there, you have no idea how it got there, you have no idea why you're in, you know, Instagram or email or whatever, and 45 minutes have passed. So what I realized is that, oh, wow, we really actually should be taking a step back as a society and as individuals and asking ourselves, like, what role do we want phones and, in a broader sense, technology to play in our lives? Because phones are just one technology. I mean, they're probably going to seem pretty outdated soon. Because you have to type with your thumbs and stuff, but how do we want to interact with technology, and what steps do we need to take to make sure that we have healthy relationships?
0: So this is not how to break up with your phone and replace it with your iPad. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I know people ask me that. I'm like, yeah,
1: that's. Uh, that's I mean, the benefit cheating. of the iPad <laughs> is at least you're not you're not carrying it in your pocket, and that's part of the issue. Like when when addiction psychiatrists talk about addictions, they talk about ease of access. Like the easier it is to access your problematic substance, the more you're likely you are to abuse it. So. The good part about iPads is you're probably not going to be checking them in the elevator, right? But then, of course, before bed becomes an issue.
0: (laughs) I actually, speaking of mental health professionals, I took the quiz in the book for how addicted you are to your phone. And it said, just go see a psychologist right away. (laughs)
1: Yes, there's a thing called the smartphone compulsion test that this guy, Dr. David Greenfield, created, who this guy created the Center for Internet and Technology Addiction back in 1998, which is so prescient. But he made this smartphone compulsion test. And as he himself will say, like, if you have a smartphone, you're going to fail the test because basically it, like, it it highlights behaviors that we do all the time and that have become so commonplace that they seem normal until you take a step back and you realize, wait, that's not normal at all. Like feeling anxious if you're separated from your phone for more than a few minutes or always having your phone at your place settings during meals or like sleeping with it next to your bed or mindlessly swiping through apps like for hours at a time, you know, at first you're like, yeah, of course. And then you realize, oh wait, this is actually strange. If you swap in any other technology or really anything else, it would just be like you even if you had to have your coffee cup near you as much as we do our phones, like that's weird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And particularly weird is when you said that one in 10 Americans admit to checking their phones during sex. So I was like, what, what, know. what part of sex? Like, when are they doing this?
1: I know, I don't know when exactly. I mean, not that I yeah, really want strange... to know. I don't really want to know, but. <laughs> I, had some, I did some interview, I remember with like an Australian group and they thought I was saying I had done that research. And I was like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. They're like, tell me about this research that you did about Americans and sex and phones. I'm like, nope, no, not, not intruding upon people's bedrooms. But yeah, I mean, I think all of that just speaks to the fact that we're allowing them into very intimate moments where if you actually think about it, it's really weird. And sex is one where it it actually does still seem weird, thankfully. But I mean, I've spoken to people who have told me about issues, one guy in particular, about like post-coital moments where his girlfriend caught him reaching for his phone, which was under her pillow. And then he had to play it off like he was stroking her hair. And (laughs) And she totally knew what he was up to and got very upset about it.
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> your your concept in the book, by the way, of fubbing with a P-H-P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G, which is like phone snubbing someone else, is so perfect because that's sort of what makes me take stock of my own habits is when I feel sort of rejected by somebody because of their phone habits. So like if my husband is on his phone, I feel like offended. And he's like, you're on your phone all the time. And it somehow feels bad being on the other side. And even my mother, who's like in her 70s, when I see her and we're like taking the kids to somewhere and she's on her phone, I'm like, what? I don't know. It feels so personal. So I feel like I at least try to remember how I must be making other people feel if that's the way I feel. Like, do you have that sensitivity too?
1: Yes. Yeah. I don't know who came up with the term fubbing, but yeah, it's short for phone snubbing. And I think one way to really take stock of your own phone relationship and kind of, like, I think we all just need little wake up calls or jolts. Like this the experience I had, I described with my daughter that night, that for me was a real wake up call where I was like, wait, something about this is weird. And similarly, if you I often encourage people to just spend a day trying not to fub anybody and noticing when that happens with other people and just doing that for a day, just observing can be very illuminating because you'll start to notice how often either you're probably you're tempted to pull out your phone in the middle of a conversation or someone does it to you. Or if you look around the world around you and you notice, you know, tables of people where they're not really engaging with each other, they're all on their respective phones, you start to realize like, oh, this is kind of. Strange and again with any other technology or any anything else, it would be undeniably rude. Like if someone had a book that they were carrying around and you're in the middle of a conversation and they just were like uh huh uh huh and pulled out their book and just like read half a page, acting like they're listening to you and then put their book down, you'd be like, what did you just do? That was really weird and rude. But we do that all the time with our phones, and I would like to suggest that that is very rude and also. I mean, it is true. It is reducing the quality, perceived quality of our interactions and getting in the way of relationships. I mean, sometimes I feel like a couple counselor because people are – real. this is a real – I don't know. I try to make light of it, but this is a real issue that's affecting people's relationships and brains, frankly, and our experience of our own lives. So I think that anything we can do to raise our own awareness and raise other people's awareness of this is, is very worthwhile.
0: Oh for sure it's super important. And just to your your point about sort of the bad manners of it, for a while I to get myself to not check email so much, I was like if is this a situation where I would be able to check regular mail? Like could I pull a stack of my mail out of my purse? like my bills and my letters, or would that be really weird? Because that's essentially what I'm doing in front of this person now, right? So that's like the it's test so I, it's the test it's so I use. So. And that's
1: like the worst insult too. You're like, yeah, what you're saying is so uninteresting that I'd rather be paying a utility bill. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or not even paying it looking at it. That's even worse. Like not even taking action, just being aware of it. Okay, great. And then like, uh, what were you saying? Yeah. I, and by the way, kids pick up on this so much. There's a There was a special that um, Diane Sawyer did That aired, I believe, in April. It was called Screen Time. And I really recommend people check it out, even if just for the first half hour, because they feature this experiment that these researchers did where they had parents come into a room with their kids and play with Legos for, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. But in the middle of it, the parents were asked to pull out their phones and just interact with the phones for two minutes and just ignore their, I mean, basically do what we do all the time. And then they had cameras in the room showing the children's reaction. And I think that the producers must have deliberately, like it's a segment in the piece that goes on longer than it would need to, to just make a point. And I think it was really to drive the point home because you watch how the kids respond and it's just so poignant. And I don't mean like, you know, obviously we have to check our phones sometimes. I'm not like parent shaming, but I think that it's really interesting and painful to watch because you see these kids completely, like their entire physical being changes as soon as the parent reaches for the phone. They become disinterested in the toys or they'll try to make these repeated pleas for the parent's attention. One little girl just sits in a chair and folds her hands in her lap and waits. You know, it's really, it's really hard to watch. And at the end, they interview some of the people who were in the experiment. And they said, you know, having watched those videos, I'm definitely going to change my habits because I had no idea that it was having this impact on my kids. So anyway, it's, it's pretty powerful that I, I would recommend. People watch again, not to like make yourself feel bad about yourself, but just as a really useful reminder that like the way we use our phones affects other people in our lives and particularly our children and they don't always have the means or ability to speak up for themselves about it.
0: Oh, well, thank you for that that little dose of guilt. <laughs> I there know well, no, no, no I, I know. I know you didn't mean it that way, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you're right. You're you're right. So the good news is we all buy The whole concept that we are too addicted to our phones and honestly, the screen time alerts now that automatically come up with how much time you're spending on your phone, for me at least, are enough to be like, oh my gosh, like four hours? Are you kidding? I could read like a book a day at that rate. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business
1: was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role
0: H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. So you have this 30-day plan to cure ourselves or at least manage our addictions. What do you think are the most important steps in that?
1: Well, I think one of the most important is to not beat ourselves up over it. Like what done is done, right? Like you can't change what you did in the past. And then also the phones and apps are deliberately designed to be very difficult to have healthy relationships with because that's how they make money. Like Instagram is making money when you scroll through it for two reasons. First, it's an advertising-based app, so they get to show you sponsored posts. And then also they collect all sorts of data about you that they then can use to create really targeted audiences to show those ads to. And it's not just what you do on Instagram, like what you look at what you like. It's like how long you linger on each picture. In many cases, Facebook, which owns Instagram, they follow you around the web. So they've got cookies on all these websites anywhere where there's like a Facebook like button so that they know the steps that you took before you did something else. So they know that you looked at this site and that site and that site, and then you bought this thing. So anyway, so... I say that as a way to just make people recognize that we're all being manipulated by people whose entire purpose is to steal our time and attention from us. So we should not feel bad about the fact that it is hard for us to control ourselves on the devices. And I would argue we also should be pretty angry, frankly, at those apps for taking what could be a truly pleasurable, useful, and enjoyable experience, and then adding this potential dark side where it's interfering with our interactions with our kids. So that's kind of a preamble. I think one of the most important things to do to start with is just to become more aware of your own habits. So you can't change a habit if you don't even realize you have the habit. So if you don't realize that you are pulling your phone out anytime there's a spare moment, and there's no way that you're going to change any of that. And in, in the case of that New York Times reporter, he realized that he would pull out his phone in the three or four seconds it would take for his credit card to process when he went downstairs to buy a snack. And he's like, what am I possibly doing during those three or four seconds? Nothing, but why am I doing it? So just noticing that he was doing it then gives him a chance to ask himself, do I want to be engaging in that habit? So the first thing I really recommend people do is like try to start catching yourself when you reach for your phone on autopilot and don't judge it, just notice it. And one thing you can do to make that easier is put a rubber band around your phone. So when you reach for your phone and feel the rubber band and you're like, why is that there? You can actually say, oh, it's because I was supposed to notice that I just did that. And another thing is you can change your lock screen image. So I made these lock screen images people can download at phonebreakup.com And they say things like, why did you pick me up right now? Or, you know, what for, why now, what else? Like little, I call them speed bumps that help people take a pause so that they then can decide consciously whether they want to use their phone then. And that's really the goal, right? It's conscious usage. It's it's knowing that when you are using your phone, you are aware of it and you feel good about what you're doing.
0: Yeah, you wrote on this, the little handout cards you give about screen life balance, you said your life is what you pay attention to. And once you spend your attention, you can never get it back, which I loved because it's not like you have this unending store of it, right? You only have what you can do. Anyway, it's a good reminder.
1: Yeah, Well, I like to think about it like it's a budget, just in the same way that you have a budget for money and you know that your finances are finite, right? Like our attention is also finite. Excuse me, we can only pay attention to one thing at a time. So if you think about your day's attention, 24 hours of attention, and you know... One of the other first things I recommend people do is ask yourself, what do you want to pay attention to? Because if we don't decide that proactively, our devices and other people in our lives and other forces are going to make that decision for you. So if you decide, for example, you want to spend time and attention reading a book or playing with your kids or doing work, whatever it is, then since it's zero sum, by definition, you're going to have to take that attention away from something else, if that makes any sense. So I really recommend people thinking about their attention as kind of this pie chart and then figuring out what the big pieces are. And then you're going to recognize that then you cannot spend as much time you know, mindlessly scrolling through Instagram if you want to also have the time to read a book, for example. So really thinking about it as a budget with limited resources can be helpful.
0: And I also like your suggestion of doing what you call the digital Sabbath, where you take a set amount of time, maybe you know, Saturdays or something, and and just put the phones away and spend the time with your partner or your kids or something and just see how that goes.
1: Yeah. This was something that my husband and I tried right at the beginning of this project. So once I had my little late night revelation, then I was talking to my husband about it and we realized, yeah, we both have pretty mindless relationships with our phones, which was particularly ironic given that he and I have gone to like mindfulness, you know, training courses and I wrote a mindfulness journal, like really try to be aware of stuff. And so when we recognized that we wanted to work on our own habits, we thought, well, one idea we could start with is just to try to take 24 hours away from our devices. I mean, that doesn't, it shouldn't be that radical of an idea, but probably some people listening to this have already thought to themselves, I could never do that. Like good for her, but I could never do that. (laughs) And so, and I've got suggestions for how you can do that. But anyway, what we did is turned our phones entirely off for 24 hours from Friday to Saturday. And I've since heard from, hundreds if not thousands of people who have tried this for themselves. And universally, it's so interesting. The first reaction is this like intense twitchiness and cravings where you start to notice that like every 30 seconds, if not more frequently, you want to look something up, you want to buy something, you want to check something. And then when you wake up the next morning, time seems to slow down and some of that twitchiness subsides, which is so interesting. It's a real psychological thing. Screens make time speed up. So if you want to gain time in your life, an easy thing to do is take a break from your phone. And also people felt this to- a sense of calm that was really surprising and unexpected. And I've since hypothesized that that's actually because when you're constantly tethered to your phone and checking notifications and getting interrupted, it's actually increasing our stress levels. So when you truly in the form of increased levels of stress hormones, like cortisol, and when you take that constant stimulation away, it actually does change us physiologically in a way that feels really pleasant. So what I've experience myself and heard from a lot of other people too is that what starts out as this totally like anxiety producing a provoking idea ends up being an experiment that people want to continue. And in some cases they don't even want to turn their phone back on after the twenty four hours. But anyway, I often recommend it as a way to kind of jump start if you really want to like dive in and get started, especially if there's someone in your life who's resistant, say, Oh yeah, I heard this crazy woman talking on the you know, podcast, (laughs) we take a 24 hour break because it's only 24 hours. Like, let's just do that and notice what happens. And it might provoke a fight. I don't know. I mean, there might be pretty dramatic like results, but that's all really interesting input that you can then talk about. Or, you know, why was it so hard for everybody to do that? Or now that we have taken a break again, like I always like we emphasize that you should find positive things to fill the time with because you, you want to make sure you've got plans. Otherwise, you're going to all end up sitting around kind of being like, what are we going to do with ourselves? But people end up having really nice experiences with their families or their partners and friends. So how can we take what we learned during those 24 hours and apply it to our normal lives as well? You know, what, what can we learn from this we can take going forward? Because it doesn't, my, my point is never that people should have a total abstinence from their phones because I think that's completely unrealistic for ninety nine point nine nine percent of people. it's really about just being more mindful about how and when we're using them, totally,
0: I mean, these are all, and I think that this also dovetails so well with finding more time to read, which is my whole thing because you know reading, I think has so many benefits and yet it's so hard to fit in. if you could take some of the time away from the phone and devote it to reading, you know that's that's it right there. I like I think that's what takes up so much, not that's the only thing. there are eight zillion things that take up mom's time, but I don't know. This is a big chunk of it, and you know, if you well, can, like, well, if you yeah. can like go through yeah. your thirty-day program and then like see how many books could you read while you're going through this detox plan. And- well,
1: that was a crazy thing with the New York Times reporter. He read like twelve books. I mean, he also is an exceptional person, but like he read like twelve books in like three weeks or four weeks or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, several things about that. I think that reading is such a perfect example to use in this case. First of all, the average person spending four hours a day on their phone. And, you know, a lot of that is in little chunks of time, like five minutes, but it adds up. If you do the math that's 60 full days a year, which is a sixth of our time alive, which itself is existentially terrifying. But if you think about that amount of time, you could definitely read more books there. You know, it's about what we're actually prioritizing. And again, phones are designed to fill up our time unless we proactively create boundaries for ourselves. So one thing I would suggest to people is that if you know you want to read more, you need to get your phone out of your bedroom and get an alarm clock, right? So set up a consistent charging station that's not in your bedroom. If you're worried about missing a call, just turn the ringer on. I always forget that myself. It's like I have it on silent all the time. I forget. It actually is a phone with a ringing function (laughs) if you turn that up at night, then you don't have to worry about missing an emergency call, right? Or you could set your do not disturb settings to just allow the people that you care about but in any case, get it out of your bedroom, but then very importantly, put a book on your bedside table that you want to read. Because when you're trying to change a habit, you want to make it hard to engage in the habits that you want to change. And then as easy as possible to engage in the ones that you're trying to pick up. And in the case of reading, it's I mean an, an easy way to set up your environment. Like it's an easy one to help prime yourself to do more of because all you need to do is put that on your bedside table so that when you're going to bed and you instinctively reach for your phone, because it probably normally is there, and you reach for, you encounter the book, you're like, oh right, I said I wanted to read and I have to get up out of my bed and walk out of the bedroom to get the phone and I might as well just read the book. So that's a good way to start for people who want to experiment. Also just carry a, a book around with you is another idea. And then also in terms of why it's really important, our uh, phones are definitely affecting our attention spans. So when you're on your phone, you're essentially flitting between multiple things very quickly, right? You're like going between apps or even within an app, you're looking at multiple posts in social media or multiple emails, each of which takes your brain in a slightly different direction and has a different emotional tone to it. And that really is training our brains to be better at flitting quickly between things. And evolutionarily that's actually what they prefer to do because that little rustle in the leaves in your peripheral vision, which now we might call a distraction, that actually could indicate a threat, like a physical threat to you. And one example I always use is I was actually mugged while I was on my phone. Not I actually wasn't even looking at it, I was talking to my husband, but I was distracted from my surroundings, didn't see a guy walking towards me with a gun, and I got mugged for it. What? So yeah. Yeah, which is you know, an extreme example. But my, my point being that our brains like are actually designed to be more primed to distractions. So it's truly amazing that we are able to read. So like everyone listening, give ourselves a pat on the back. It's crazy that we're able to concentrate on one thing at a time, ignore everything else in our environment, and then make sense out of symbols on a page. It's like crazy. (laughs) So our brains don't really want to do that. And when you're on your phone and you're flitting between all these things, you're essentially undoing all this hard work that you've put in over the course of your life to make yourself able to do that. So if you feel like you haven't read a book in a long time, you feel like you can't even read more than a page without being distracted. And you think it's your kids, it might partially be your kids and being a mom, but I can assure you that it is also partially because we're training our brains on our phones to be that way. And the good news is you actually can reverse that. It does take conscious effort. I always recommend people set a timer, not on their phone, and just (laughs) read uninterrupted for that amount of time just to show yourself, A, that it's bizarrely hard, and then B, that you can do it. And it doesn't take too long to build up the ability to do it again. But we do need to, it's like, you know, getting in shape at the gym. It's much easier to get out of shape than it is to get in shape, especially if you had a personal trainer who's basically telling you to eat junk food on a couch, and So reading actually, for so many reasons, is actually an excellent way to, I don't know, readjust your relationship with your phone and begin to truly make physical changes to your brain that will have effects in all sorts of other areas of your life as well. And making me more be more present because you'll be able to actually maintain your attention on one thing at a time in a way that right now most of us really can't.
0: I was literally, I used the same analogy talking to another mom at pickup yesterday about how it's like the gym. Cause she was like, I just, it used to be so easy for me to read. And now it just, you know, I only read a page here or there and then I give up and I'm like, no, it's like, you have to get back in the habit and back in the, the practice before you feel some of the benefits. Like now that I'm reading so much, which I've like convinced myself to do now that I've, tried to make this kind of like something I have to do. (laughs) I have to do something I Uh love. Like the benefits from reading for me right now are like enormous. I am so into it. It helps my life in so many ways. But when I was so scattered before, I feel like it was hard to access that. So I don't know. You have to just really give it a little little time and it will pay off in huge ways. Yeah.
1: I'd be interested in in like what kind of benefits have you found in unexpected areas of your life from picking up reading again?
0: I feel like I am even more in tune with other people, right? Like the empathy quotient, which obviously it's just like part of myself, but now that I'm reading so much and I'm constantly in other people's heads, I'm just like primed to sort of not like peek into people's minds, but just like, I just feel so connected to other people. I, that sounds ridiculous, but also no, just, I don't think it's just getting the peace for myself and the escape from my own crazy stuff in my own head, right? Like I'm like a pretty anxious person. And when I'm reading, it's the only time that I don't think about anything. I don't pick up my phone. That is the only thing I'm doing. And I get such a charge. Like I'm, it gives me energy to do everything else I need to do.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I think it's so interesting to compare that with some of the other things we do supposedly for entertainment or to Soothe ourselves. I mean, I would argue we definitely use our phones like drugs in the sense of you use a drug to either stimulate yourself or calm something to like, avoid unpleasant emotions, right? And, and when you turn to your phone for that, how do you end up feeling afterwards versus turning to a book, like you're saying? I mean, it's, it's so interesting. There's just such a nourishing feeling that comes after you finish reading. And I think it's partially because you get into a state of flow in your brain. Mm-hmm. And also, it's really relaxing and rejuvenating to just do one thing at a time. I think that a lot of our modern stress comes from the fact that we're trying to put too many things into our working memories, which is basically the part of your brain that's able to remember, like, you know, names of people at a cocktail party. And there's a really famous experiment called the, what is that, the magic number five plus or number two, seven, magic number seven plus or minus two, which is basically the idea that we can hold between five and nine things in our working memory at any time. And then we totally get overwhelmed. And more recent estimates are more like two or four which you can see if you meet people at a cocktail party and you're like, okay, two to four people probably will remember their names for the conversation. Anything more than that, then you start to have a little panic. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that personally, like much of our stress of, Daily life is trying to put too much stuff into that working memory, and our phones are compounding that problem to ridiculous degrees. Where there's so much information that we get anytime we open the phone, even just looking at the home screen because it's got all those apps on it, that's really overstimulating to our working memories. so when you read a book and you get lost in a book and you're just allowing your brain to just get totally absorbed in one thing, I think it really is very restorative. On a you know in our brains themselves. Totally.
0: Well, thank you for that public service announcement on reading as well. That was super, yes, that was so (laughs) helpful. I think we're almost out of time and I had so much more I wanted to ask, but thank you so much for coming on. I just want to know, like, what advice would you have to someone attempting to write a book like this?
1: To write a book like this in particular?
0: Yeah. Or, or just, just
1: in general? Writing? In general. Let's um, let's
0: just say writing in general.
1: Well, writing in general. Okay. I would say tying this to the phones that creativity, anyone who's tried to do anything creative, which probably is everybody listening to this knows it's such a fickle, difficult, I don't know. It like comes in little spurts. You never know when it's going to strike and you have to kind of like make sure to take advantage of it when it's there. And if you've got something that's constantly dragging your attention and your time from you, such as your phone, you're basically letting it kind of steal your creativity from you in little dribs and drabs. I don't know if that's an expression. My husband always says that, but dribs and drabs (laughs) when you're like, you know, posting stuff on Instagram and you're like thinking about a clever caption. Well, that's your creativity that you're spending Sending something that's totally ephemeral and you're doing it just so you can get like a pixelated like from someone on the internet, which is fine if you actually want to do that. But if you're trying to write a book, I would say that one important thing to do would be to guard your attention. Uh, one thing to do would be to really watch out for the way that your phone is interfering with it. Cause frankly, you're never going to get it done if you're also sitting next to your phone. And I personally use things like app blockers, such as freedom is a really great one that works on both Android and iOS and Windows products that allows you to block certain websites across devices for particular periods of time so that you actually can't indulge in your natural desire to switch over and just check something, quote unquote, for just a second. So I really recommend using technology tools to help protect yourself from technology so that you have any chance of giving your brain the space it needs to be able to produce a creative work. I mean, I sat down to write something yesterday, and I've been writing shorter things recently. I sat down to write something like a would-be blog post. I was like, oh, man, writing is hard. (laughs) Anyone anyone know that? So um, anyway, I think, like, structuring your environment both on and offline to really protect mental space and to, frankly, like, cage yourself in so that you can't – your mind is going to want to go for those distractions. So you got to figure out a way to block yourself from that. Another tool I use that is really helpful for anyone out there with email issues is called Inbox When Ready. And it works for Gmail and I think Outlook. And it basically, it hides your inbox from you and hides the number of new messages from you so that you can go in an email and like write an email without seeing everything else waiting for you. And you can search for an email without seeing everything else waiting for you. But it it sounds like such a simple idea that wouldn't be profound, but there's no way I could have written my book without this plugin because I didn't realize how just seeing the number of messages in the tab on my browser was actually extremely distracting So I recommend people check out Inbox When Ready and Freedom in terms of technological tools to give yourself a bit more mental space so that you can focus on creating something like a book. Love
0: it. Thank you. Super helpful in every way. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And thank you for everything you've done to help so many of us.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It was really
0: a pleasure. Oh, good. (laughs) All right. Take care. Thanks again to my sponsor, Mermaid Pillow Co. MermaidPillowCo.com slash Zibby. Enter code Zibby for 10% off. Thanks so much. Check out those really awesome, giftable pillows and blankets. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and at Zibby Owens and my new podcast at Kids Do Have Time to Read. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods,